You're listening to Perspectives in Parryville. Today, my guest is Matt Cosgrove, an Australian author and illustrator of children's books. Some of Matt's recent work includes the Macca the Alpaca series of books, along with other favourites like Attack of the Giant Robot Zombie Mermaid, which is part of the Epic Fail Tale series. In this episode, we explore Matt's love of art and design, and his earliest memories of drawing and illustration. We trace Matt's pathway through school, study and work as he reflects on a range of creative roles with Australian magazines, including illustrator and designer for K-Zone and Girlfriend, leading to his role as creative director for fashion magazine Marie Claire. Matt shares his thoughts and opinions on the popularity of children's books in a digital age the profound value of reading, and his eventual return to his first love, illustration. Here's my conversation with Matt Cosgrove. Oh, this is a squeaky, <laughs> squeaky table, isn't it? Oh, it is. Okay. <laughs> and we're surrounded by noise here. We're going to have a few aeroplanes fly over in a minute. Mm-hmm. Now, I understand where we are is usually on a Sunday really, really busy. That's correct, yeah. Addison Road Markets is usually a pretty happening place. I thought it might be a fun location for us to be at. And instead of being a thriving, bustling little community centre, it's a ghost town today, today. because of the holidays. Yeah. I didn't realise that um, no one would be here. So it's just you and me, Mark, and the planes going overhead. Well, I shall look forward to <laughs> One of those planes as it arrives. Yeah. You let, you it's let coming. Know. You've got, you've you'll got, know, you'll know. You've got the local scoop. <laughs> yes. So, where, well, we've, we've discovered where we are, mm-hmm. but, and I guess uh, why we're here. We're just here to do a, a little interview or, a, you know, record a conversation. Mm-hmm. I want to find out more about who you are, though. Okay. You so, wanna... where did you come from? Where have you, have you always lived in the Inner West? Have I always lived in the Inner West? No, I haven't. I'm an, not a traditional Inner Westie. I'm an Outer Westie by birth. So, right. Um, yeah, so I'm born in Blacktown. I grew up in Richmond and I went to the University of Western Sydney. So, oh, yes. I guess all my formative years were very much out in the Western suburbs. You're um, a Westie first and then an inner westie yeah. <laughs> yeah and then then sort of <clears> moved <throat> into the city for work just because um you know the two-hour train trip from richmond every day into the city was a bit of a killer so yep, yep. it started uh it seemed like a good idea to move in closer to town for work yeah so what's um well you're an illustrator is that how you would describe yourself i do describe myself as an illustrator sort of first and foremost i guess these days i'm more of an author slash illustrator put the slash in there but yeah in my heart i think i'm always going to be an illustrator first okay i can hear something encroaching (laughs) it's coming there it is we'll just give it a few minutes as it goes over Total recording or not? You know, all these little stolen <laughs> these, these 30 pauses, seconds. Yeah, well, it's very much 
<clears throat> it's part of our lives. You just pause. You can be mid-conversation and here comes, you know, the jumbo jet and you just pause for a second mm. and then you just continue as though nothing happens once it's gone. So, so where were we? Where were we? We were, were talking about me. Isn't that why we're here? Yes. <laughs> or why am I really am I really an university by nature? Oh no, or, we moved on. Oh, no, we found out you were an illustrator and an author. Okay, yes. So when you were younger, mm -hmm. as in like I don't know how far back you want to go, but you yep. were you um, always drawing? Yes, that that was definitely sort of my personality and my persona. Always the guy who was good at drawing, always uh, you know, have my sketch pad with me, always scribbling away, always colouring in. I guess I definitely always define myself as being, you know, the best drawer in the class. Right, that's that a reasonably sophisticated yeah. interpretation. <laughs> Instead of saying, you know, I, I was, or, you know, I define myself <laughs> yeah. as the best well, that drawer. Was, yeah, you know, like, I guess as a kid, you are, you're like the funny kid or you're the sporty kid oh, yeah, yeah. or whatever. Like, that was, you know, I liked, I guess I took pride in being able to draw and I loved drawing that what, was what did you draw what sort of what did you draw objects or people um, buildings? I, I drew everything I loved I guess I was a bit weird in a way in that I didn't play with my toys like my masters of the universe or transformers you I drew used to them. I used to pose them like they oh. were life models and then I would draw that's, them that's so, pretty funny um, yeah so I would draw them into scenes and then sort of um, you know turn that into a narrative I would start drawing comics with them and stuff so um, this is just for fun mm. I guess just to yeah, kind of just for fun because I loved it because I loved reading books I loved reading comics and I loved drawing so, um, so what yeah. were some of your favourite books for example when you were young can you remember? Um, absolutely. My favourite books. Um, there's too many. I can or talk, just type. Talk. Did you okay. like storybooks or did you like, you know, um, encyclopedias or? Well, that's, yeah, we did have that set of encyclopedias at home that I used to just love reading the encyclopedias, like grabbing one. No, I, I did too, tricky. myself. Yeah. I, it's not it a stupid awesome. question. <laughs> I didn't understand it. And I loved our World Book Encyclopedia set. We had the encyclopedias, but then there was also a section. Oh, oh you're more a World Book type of guy, not a Britannica? Oh, no, no, not Britannica. Uh, no, we were uh, World Book. Uh, all right. brown Sorry, all the I, way. This, this all brown. <laughs> it's over. You've stormed <laughs> off. Uh, and, but we, in the World Book Encyclopedia, there was also like a section of like a uh, craft section it was like a series of books that were like filled oh, with yeah. craft activities and ideas for uh you know projects and things i used to just love oh, yeah. reading uh reading those and like doing all the activities in them drawing painting and um a little cutting things out yeah there were heaps of those cutting things out you know oh, i know <laughs> you, oh, you. you know Mark. <laughs> I, it resonates with you yes yeah um, so, so what so you drew i guess that's a kind of value add so not just plain cardboard you'd be drawing stuff on the cardboard and you know decorating the yeah stuff anything creative like that absolutely loved it and um, and so that was from sounds like it's from a very early age from you? birth I All popped right. out with a pencil <laughs> 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 no there's photos of me from very very young where um, you know I was drawing that was mm. that really was my thing I'm very shallow there's no depth there's no layers <laughs> it's, it's just what you see is what you get hey <laughs> and very so, very disappointing were you distracted from your other studies then with uh, all this drawing or did you incorporate your no your powers I, I did I, I used my drawing powers i used to come first in 
subjects based on the strength oh. of my title pages. People are so superficial, <laughs> aren't they? It was all about those title pages. It was the wow factor. The teacher would yeah. just go, man, this guy loves geography. Yeah. Look at this amazing title page. No, I, do, I do remember the title pages. Yeah, they were good. You kind of yeah. pause. It set the right scene. There, set the tone, yeah. set the scene. I loved it. That first week of school yeah. where you got to draw the title pages, that was my time to shine. I was so happy. I loved it. So. And so then you kind of continued on through high school drawing and, and then when, when, when high school finished, yep. what, what did, did you have big plans to do anything yeah, at that point? My, no, my plan always, back, even back in primary school, was to be an author and an illustrator. So um, during book week, the librarian, Mrs. Carl, was sitting out the front of the library showing all the picture books of the year. And I just remember sitting there thinking, man, I want to do that. I want to make wow. books. How cool. That's yeah. pretty cool. It was like, man, it's like, I wish I could write. I wish I could draw. I wish I could do that. And then I kind of thought, yeah, I can do that stuff. So I started making my own books then. Like I would get old exercise books and tear out the pages at the front. You know how at the end of the year, you always have about four or five exercise books where you only did two or three pages at yep. the front of the book yeah, like, for whatever reason. And so I would tear out those pages. And then the rest of the book, once it was a clean, slate I would turn into a story so I would fill that book up with a story usually uh, sort of rambling sort of Indiana Jones style adventure um, so lots of long rambling stories and illustrated everywhere um, and it was always very violent, filled with um, adventure. Yeah, is sometimes filled with, filled is with violent. piranhas and volcanoes and explosions yep. and that kind of thing. And who read them? <clears throat> who looked at these books? Um, I don't think anyone did except me. <laughs> I remember. I remember. I, I remember right. trying to force my um, pop, my grandfather, to read it, and he was just falling asleep because these were like epics. They were like ninety-six pages long, you know. Because I filled up the entire. I wrote to fill the book, basically. Wow. And, <laughs> That's, that's impressive going. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, I remember um, in hindsight, looking back, my poor pop must have been suffering, like trying to get through this um, oh, yeah. manifesto. Well, that's the beauty of, of uh, illustrated books. You can, you know, Just you can pick up the page. Them. You can flip through them quite quickly. Yeah. And did, I guess you had a little, like, text on the screen, uh, text on the pages as well. Yeah, yeah, it was filled with words. It was mm. always, for me, like a combination of both. Like, I love love words and I love images. So that's why picture books are great for me because I get to do both. So yeah. I'm afraid we, we've gone off on a tangent, a okay. picture, some <laughs> crazy picture book tangent. <laughs> we wanna, what, what happened when you actually <clears throat> left school okay, then? Okay, when I left school. Okay, so like I said, back in primary school, I decided I wanted to be an author and an illustrator. So I was always practicing, always drawing. And I basically told everybody, I want to be an illustrator. I want to be an author and an illustrator. Entered every writing competition. I entered every drawing competition. I I'm the proud owner of quite a few first place art ribbons from the Hawkesbury show where, right. you know, entering the, uh, the drawing and painting competitions there. And I was just really lucky while I was still in high school, um, I got to meet a professional author and illustrator. Um, he was the second cousin of one of my friends at school. He was over at their place for a barbecue one day. And my friend, because she knew that I wanted to be an author and an illustrator, she said, oh, my cousin's over. He does that for a living. Would you like to come and meet him? And of course I was like, yes, I would love mm. to meet him. Love to come over. And I think I was 
Um, I took along my art journal to, you know, to show him my sketches and drawings yeah, yeah. and stuff. I'm um, just hoping to get some advice or some feedback or some comments. What, what did that person tell you? Um, so he, that, that person, his name was Gary Fleming. So he's a really accomplished artist and illustrator. And at the time, he just released sort of one of the best-selling picture books, sort of in Australia, Bolly Gum, it was called. And I um, mean, did the Big Book of Wild Australia, really beautiful uh, books. And I was just hoping for some advice, some feedback. But he looked at my art journal and he said, actually, my publisher is looking <gasps> for new illustrators at the moment. Wow. I think your work is maybe good enough to go and meet with them. So I was super lucky that while I was still in high school, I got to go along and meet um, with a publisher. And I went along and met them. And they were like, oh, we think, you know, you've got you know some ability and so i was able to start working while i was still still at high school which is a bit i don't know annoying for, i guess well, for other people but lucky for me that yeah it yeah did they then kind of like like produce the book as such they gave you directions as, as to what they wanted yes yeah it was yeah. very very much like that where you get the manuscript and they were basically saying, this is the style we want you to draw in. And and what was um, it? What style was it? The style was, oh gosh, and then... Uh, can you use words I, to describe yeah. these shapes and colors you speak of? Basically, basically, um, I, it wasn't wasn't a very auspicious beginning. It was kind of, they were doing like an Australian version of Spot the Dog. You know, those books, Spot, mm -hmm. where he's fine spot he's hiding behind the flaps and it's very oh, very yep, simple yep. line work and very bright colors very simple text and I think they wanted to do an Australian version of that so instead of a spot the dog they had a kangaroo banjo the kangaroo of course yeah. they did yeah <laughs> you're not familiar with banjo I'm not familiar but I am familiar with Australian animals yeah yes. so, and I, so that was um, that was kind of the start of my career so I did nine books in that series banjo the kangaroo wow and, hit the um, ground running yeah so hit the ground hopping well I guess yeah that was that was kind of the start but they weren't really um Anyone who looked at them probably didn't think, wow, what an amazing illustrator, because they were drawn no, in a really, really functional. simple style. And um, yeah, so it wasn't, they weren't kind of the books that I thought that I would be doing, because I had all these grand visions of, um, you know, I was obsessed with Graham Bass and Jeannie Baker and those kind of beautiful, elaborate illustrations. Oh, and yeah, but they I, take more time to yeah, develop. Yeah, yeah. And I thought that's how I would sort of launch into the publishing industry. And instead, it was these. Um, you know, very, very basic, um, mm. simple illustrations. But it was my foot in the door of the industry, so I yeah. can't complain about it. Well, after our short uh, aeroplane uh, break, <laughs> yes. um, we wanna, I want to know how you get, in the, in the next few minutes, yes. from there mm -hmm. to where we are now, where you are now. Okay. You know, just a kind of brief summary of what you, the types okay. of things that you did it, in your career. In between there. Okay, so yeah, so like I um, said, I started early, but then I wanted to go get sort of proper qualifications. So, um, why I, was that? Why did you? Because um, I wanted to feel real. Like, I wanted to feel, validate. Yeah. Valid sort of quality. You don't have to have. Um, 
tertiary education to be an illustrator. It's all on the strength of your portfolio, but I wanted to go to university. It was important in my family to have that sort of um, that extra education. And sort of, there's a lot of respect for education in my family. My parents, my dad's a teacher, so it's mm-hmm. like you know, there's a lot of worth in you know learning from experts. And um, so yeah, I went and studied illustration at university and how did the teacher go with you <laughs> was, the, uh, was the teacher going oh, caramba, no, what, what have we got here my teacher the teachers were great so i had two um two illustration lecturers one was tony oliver who was a sort of a legendary australian picture book illustrator who did possum in the house and um opera house mouse and really beautiful samantha seagull sandals and he was old school he was like he forced us to learn pen and ink and scraper board and really traditional illustration techniques and he was kind of one of those ruthless hardcore illustrators where you would hand something in and he'd go fantastic now do it again it's not good enough what what was wrong with it or what was lacking (laughs) well there's nothing wrong or lacking it just could be better which is true every every drawing could always be better so then that was kind of always that frustration where it's like oh i'm going to show you all right so it was a really good sort of technique i guess um but underneath inspiring or encouraging yeah it was encouraging so underneath that rough exterior he did have a heart of gold and an amazing sense of humor so we had him sort of the hardcore illustrator and on the other side we had Kendall Murray who was a fine artist and she was loving and nurturing so we had the kind of double act happening there sort of encourages us along so it was a great sort of launch into the world of sort of illustration but then um, I guess then I discovered it's hard to get a full-time job as an illustrator so because there aren't that many around so then I had to sort of diversify in my career so I've done a lot of things along the way. I've taught illustration. Um, I illustrated the catchphrases on Burjo's catchphrase for a while. I worked in I the magazine industry for a while. What? So lots and lots of different things along the way. And it's only now sort of like within the last four or five years that I've returned sort of to the world of picture books, giving it my full attention. So yeah, so I've kind of come here on a very sort of divergent path, but here we are now where I can officially say I'm an author slash illustrator. You're listening to Perspectives in Parryville. So, mm-hmm. uh, where were we? Where, okay, were we? where were we? Okay, so I guess I was talking about um, how I've always defined myself as being an illustrator, but um, just the realities of life haven't sort of allowed that to be the case. So, what do you I, mean? What well, is that? Well, the realities, you know, um, like you know, being able to buy food and water and electricity. we all got to pay the bills type thing? Yeah, paying the bills. So unfortunately, illustration isn't, you know, always that financially rewarded. Is that because it's kind of, it's irregular work? Um, Yeah, there's that, it's irregular work. Um, So it's hard, there's not really full-time jobs for illustrators. It's always freelance work or you're taking little bit projects on here and there. Or, and it also, it's not paid very well. My illustration rate hasn't changed in 25 years really so um, so it's not something that's moved up in terms of um, you know how much you get paid for the cover of a book or for an editorial illustration in fact in most cases it's actually gone down um, just because now people can buy 
a stock image from Getty Image for two dollars. So why would they bother, you know, engaging an illustrator to spend, you know, a few days of their life creating an illustration that then they'll have to pay a couple of hundred dollars for? So it's tricky. It's hard. It's a ruthless sort of um, <coughs> industry. So yeah. So like I said along the way, just to sort of be able to. Um, you know, when we want to pursue that Australian dream of buying our own home, um, I remember having meetings with the bank manager and the bank manager sort of doing nothing to sort of um, help that stereotypical image of them being evil bloodsuckers actually like laughing out loud in our face sort of. Oh, because she didn't <laughs> because have a regular of, yeah, income or, and or, you're or, or actually how much we made sort of during that year. God, that'd be um, tough on a yeah. very practical level. <laughs> yeah, so just, so that was, I remember after that meeting, it was like, okay, I'm gonna get a real job. So um, then start going through the newspapers and there are no real jobs for illustrators. So I had to get, a job the closest thing was there was an ad for an illustrator slash graphic designer for k-zone magazine a kids magazine and um it was the only one in the paper that week uh, so, yeah it was a uh, newspaper supplement yeah there was the newspaper supplement and also a little uh -huh. uh, magazine that you'd buy at the news agents or supermarket just for kids about you know toys video games books that kind of thing um so i applied for that job and um was lucky enough to be able to get that. And because I had that job, then we were able to get a home loan. Mm. And um, then I was thinking, I'm only gonna work in magazines for maybe six months or something, and then go back to illustration. And then it ended up being 10 years in magazines. It was one of those things where, um, you know, life sort of just happened where, you know, my wife, was pregnant we needed to have regular income the children do require yeah. food <laughs> they're so pesky they're so annoying oh, it's demanding things like <laughs> shelter, <food and> shelter. <laughs> so selfish um yeah so but even so for 10 years i worked in magazines i progressed up from k-zone to girlfriend and then finally i ended up in marie claire which was kind of like an amazing job to be creative director of australia's number one fashion magazine as it was and it was really really fun and very very glamorous and uh, really exciting to work on big photo shoots with uh, supermodels. It was really a fun, creative place to work, but it definitely wasn't where my heart was at. I still thought of myself as being an author and an illustrator. So in my lunch breaks, if I ever had a lunch break, I would like run 20 minutes to the local bookshop and I'd spend 20 minutes flicking through kids' books and then run 20 minutes back to the office and on the train home at night I'd be sketching in my you know sketch pads and I was still writing and I was still drawing I just wasn't um, employed as a writer and an illustrator I would do a cover here or there or some chapter illustrations but I wasn't doing my own books and then at the 10-year mark when I was officially entitled to take my long service leave so you ditched I, I triple checked it with HR the oh. exact day when <laughs> I could hand in my resignation wow. and still be entitled to my two months paid long service leave and I had four months of unused holidays that I'd never oh, been able to take right. so that I, was had, handy? I had six months of basically paid time and I thought I'm going to use this six months to get back into kids books so I'm going to work up all of my ideas and put it into pictures and presentations that I can then take to public to launch myself back into the picture book market. You're so a man with a plan. I had a plan, yeah. I guess so. the timing of it, because I mean, ma uh, magazines, like all publishing, <clears throat> is suffering with the, in, in this well, digital age. It definitely felt like it was a good time to jump out of magazines. I love magazines. I think they're amazing, but they're really 
competing against the internet. Yeah. It's like, yeah. why, why do you need to buy a magazine and flick through it when you can go online and scroll through Instagram and see exactly the same thing and faster? Um, so it's tough. It was a tough industry and um, it felt like it was a good time to sort of get out and get back into picture books. And I think it's kind of, um, yeah, so I did, did that six months of working on my ideas and then started approaching publishers again. And I was lucky enough that they were interested in the ideas that I had. And um, so... What were, yeah. what were some of the... Like, did you tap into older ideas or new ideas or...? Well, I had in my sketch pads, in my pile of notebooks, I had the ideas for 40 stories, really mapped out, really thoroughly thought through. Um, and I picked the one that I thought would be the most um, successful, really, the most popular, being really pragmatic, just looking what was out in the market, looking at the Treehouse series, the Andy Griffith's 13 Story Treehouse being massively popular, that sort of... Um, oh, look, what was, the, what was in that market already? Yeah, looking what was out there and what was Hang on, we'll just wait well. for this plane. <laughs> I grew up with... Uh, Aeroplane, aeroplane noise. Just we live near the airport. Yes. In Sydney. Uh-huh. And um, so that whole concept of just stopping you just stop your conversation floors. or the television show or whatever. Yeah. And then just get back on track. Absolutely. So, yeah. No, I, well, I grew up at Richmond near the RAF base. So oh, right. we would have the big American army yeah. jets come in. They would be so loud. They would set off every car alarm in the shopping center car park they come in so oh, wow. loud and so loud just the vibrations from that so so yeah this is nothing you know mm. you've <laughs> been primed yeah. so um yeah so yeah looking at the market looking at the treehouse series was so successful and the weirdo series those kind of uh books that were very heavily illustrated and very irreverent, had a fantastic sort of sense of humor. And I had an idea that I felt would sit alongside those on the bookshelf really nicely, which was the Epic Fail Tale series. It was sort of taking fairy tales and twisting them around as though a kid had taken a traditional fairy tale and then drawn all over the top of it, sort of graffiti style, to change it into something else. So I took uh, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs and turned it into Snowman and the Seven Ninjas and The Little Mermaid turned it into Attack of the Giant Robot Zombie Mermaid. And I took these ideas to the publishers and they were like, yes, this sounds good. And so I worked on those, put them out and Let's they just completely were... disrespect the traditions of yeah, uh, the well, tales. No, no, it was, you know, <laughs> it's kind of uh, the way of the world, you know, it was yeah, sort yeah. of changing no, it around. It's... So instead of having a boring mermaid who's obsessed with a boy, which is terrible, and that's the message of the little mermaid, mm. change everything about yourself to get oh, really? a rich guy to like you. So, yeah, so, <laughs> so I never really thought about it that way. So yeah, I changed, you know? the, <laughs> changed the story to, um, you know, a, a mermaid who's obsessed with brains because she's a zombie so she just wants to eat everybody's brains so this the message of my story is yes. you know the pursuit of brains is a good thing so maybe not eating other people's brains that's mm. bad but wanting to have big juicy brains of your own is what we should all be sort of striving for so it was really fun to play around with through traditional fairy tales and, and it's very, very consistent with other stuff that's happening in the world like yeah. a creative creative world they're sort of remix culture yeah, or absolutely refer- uh, referencing previous kind of like a postmodern oh, type cool. of 
yeah, approach it's such to a, be a bit academic about it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you just had to get that in, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> you know, just to explain it, for, yeah. you know. Otherwise, so, it would be quite confusing, I would imagine. Yeah. So, yeah, so these, like you said, it's in this culture, there is that real sense of taking something old and putting a new spin on it. And I thought um, it was a great way to sort of launch back into the market because it was, everybody knows those fairy tales already. So there's that familiarity with, them and then there's an opportunity to have a lot of fun with it and play around with it so yeah so I launched back into the world with um, the epic fail tale series and they just weren't successful yeah no, no, no oh, yeah, I, no, I was not expecting were, you yeah, to say they, that uh, but they no they were successful they sold more than anything that I'd ever done they were really really uh, exceeded my expectations but in terms of you know they were no treehouse series they were no weirdo they didn't take off in any way whatsoever um, but in the meantime with my publisher I was saying I wanted to do you know these books for older kids but also in between do a picture book because I love picture books as well and um, yeah and then my first picture book was Mac of the Alpaca and then that was a whole different story that came out and actually people that I wasn't directly related to by blood were buying it you know in the past it had only been my mum buying my books and then suddenly you know um, sort of within two weeks the head of the publishing company rang up and said this book has exceeded all expectations it's been reprinted you know already sort of two weeks into release he goes um, yeah, it's exceeded all expectations. And I was like, how low were your expectations? <laughs> you know, what are we talking about here? Um, but yeah, it, 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 it just kept getting reprinted and reprinted. And it sort of, it kind of changed, um, changed everything for me because suddenly people knew a book that I'd illustrated and it was popular and people wanted more. So and what, what did, where did Mecca come from? Where did the idea or where did it, it was just, um, it came out of nowhere really it was just one day we were at the royal easter show with my family and we walked into the camelid pavilion where the alpacas and the llamas are and i'd never seen those animals up close before and i just thought they were so unique and so fascinating we i we stayed there for ages i took lots and lots of photographs and there's just something about them that captured my attention and imagination i just thought they'd be a fantastic character for a picture book and i went home that night and just started sketching and drawing and writing and so there's something here there's really a great character within this and i went back to the easter show the next day and then just spent the entire day in that pavilion taking photographs of the animals and watching them looking at them and um, then went home and just wrote it really really quickly really easily and um, presented that to the publisher and they're like yeah this is this looks good this sounds good we've got a good feeling about this and it turned out you know it to be everyone really just sort of loved it i don't know why people go why was this one book successful when you've done so many that weren't <laughs> and, uh, and I don't do you know run why. up to people in the bookshops and say why are you buying that um, i don't know why i think the character is super cute he has a great message what um, is his message his or? message is just to be nice mm -hmm. um and i think maybe people were kind of looking for that message at the moment where you know in this world where there's a lot of sort of not niceness to have a character who's just inherently good and nice and always trying to do the right thing so um but yeah i also just think i was super lucky that i struck with a book about our packers at a time when the universe just sort of 
decided collectively that they loved our package. You know how it goes through stages, like people for a while loved unicorns and then, you, oh, know, yeah. they, you know, people... So there may have been a time in like the 1530s or something yes. where our packers were on trend. Yeah. And then and it went away. Then they've gone away and, and then suddenly they're back on. Is there a cycle? Like yeah. the planets? Is it every 75 years or something? <laughs> Maybe there is. I feel like I'm just lucky to have sort of struck that moment. But if you look everywhere in the shops, it's alpacas and llamas on bedspreads, on cushions, ceramics. Yeah. It's just. I did have someone gave me a, a birthday balloon, a birthday. like a like a kind of you know the plastic that's silver. Yes, that the, kinda, foil yeah. the foil ones. The foil ones, and it, and I looked at it and I had to chuckle and I thought that is a generic alpaca <laughs> and i was gonna tell you <laughs> you didn't bring it <laughs> no 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 but i just it made me laugh because you know that you've had impact when your your kind of creation is then kind of on on other products that you've not actually had anything to do with okay I, yeah i don't know if that was that might not have been back of the alpaca oh no it was not it was certainly not an authorized um merchandise uh, yeah, so it's it was um, it's, the, it's it, weird it's in the air type thing. It's yeah. something that's kind of like a. It's just I guess happening. it's the mysteries of culture. Yeah, like why why is one thing suddenly popular? Why do we all suddenly you know want a fidget spinner or yo-yos or whatever? Why is, or superheroes or what is it that you know that's happening in the world that suddenly makes that one thing the popular thing at the moment? So yeah, I've just been super lucky to sort of be riding that wave of alpaca love at the moment so and then that led to other like sequels i guess are they called absolutely sequels? yeah and i guess they, books? yeah follow up books so yeah so i'm currently i'm working on the sixth um mac of the alpaca book at the Six. moment the sixth one wow yeah. that's so, that's pretty good going yeah so they're um yeah it's and people are still wanting to read them and wanting to um you know follow along with Macca's adventures. So it's really weird. It's been lovely actually to sort of do something that people like and to get messages that, um, you know, my child's first word was Macca or, you know, every night we read alpacas with maracas together or it's really sort of lovely to be involved in people's lives that way. So um, yeah, it's, it's a really, really sort of fulfilling career in that sense in that um, even though I work all by myself, alone, locked away in my garage, just doing the work, that suddenly those books are released out into the world and they have a life of their own and people incorporate them into their family and into their world. You're listening to Perspectives in Parryville. So there's all this book reading going on it, it, right at the time where probably less people are reading. Yeah. Would you, uh, sort of, well, what are your thoughts on Well, the, the children's book market is um, doing well. So I think people are wanting their kids to still read books. And it, for the past sort of few years or 10 years or whatever, everyone when I say everybody, there seems to be always this um, this sort of narrative out there in the world that 
um, people aren't reading books anymore, or books are dead, or... The book is or, dead. Or, I read yeah, like, something or, 10 years ago. There was a book from an academic. Yes. Book. The book is dead. Yeah, or we're only ever going to read on, you know, Kindles or devices. Printed books are uh, finished. And um, I think kids' books have kind of disproved that. They've held strong. And I don't know whether that's just the nostalgia from people my age who grew up with books forcing their kids to still read and to oh, have yeah. a love of books yeah, and whether that that's going to eventually die out or whether um, you know, I think people still appreciate and respect and understand how valuable books are. Um, I get to read a lot about um, sort of the world of books and what's happening in it just because I'm interested in it and um, you know it's my career so I've got to you know be sort of up to date with what's happening and the studies that you read they show that um, kids that are exposed to books kids that have books in their home do better academically no matter which country they're from in the world or their socioeconomic group as long as they've got books in their house they're going to continue to do well in the world and achieve um, because there's that correlation between learning to read and having literacy and sort of um, you know, intelligence and being able to uh, sort of operate in the world. And I think people sort of understand that intrinsically how important books are and they want their kids exposed to that. So yeah, it sort of normalizes the kind of concept of having a book and picking it up and, well, reading it or yes. referring to it. Mm -hmm. It's kind of, whereas if there's no books in the house, mm -hmm. then it's sort of like on a, on a really simplistic subtext almost that there's no value in them so why have them in the house yes so i guess it's kind of we'll just pay for this plane again <laughs> so why have yeah like it, i guess it's kind of um just the the kind of normalizing factor or i don't know yeah i think kids kids actually love books like when you see when they hold them and they touch them and they turn the pages well, there's, there's something so elements yeah there's other elements it. yeah the kind of physical act of picking up yeah. this object mm -hmm. and then you know smelling it or touching it Absolutely. opening you're it you're in control being able to turn the pages or delve into it i know you can have that sort of experience on a device where you're like zooming and you're it's just not the same for me. I don't know whether that's because of my age or because I grew up with books, but I just see my kids interact differently with a book than the way they would with an iPad. So they have books um, on their iPads as well that they can read, and it just doesn't seem the same. And I don't know whether that's because I'm an old, boring guy and nostalgic for the past, but there really does seem to be something sort of uh, magical about a physical book that you can hold, that you can flick through the pages, that you can sort of cherish as an object. And um, I've loved being a dad and being able to read with my kids sort of every night. There's something really special about that time, sort of being able to sit with them and not be yelling about homework or how messy the room is, just being able to go into this world and read with them and connect with them. And um, yeah, so, but yeah, Books, I don't think, are dead. Children's books definitely aren't. In terms of the economics of it, kids' books, I think, account for 30 or 40% of the Australian book market, and they continue, the sales continue to be strong and steady. So I don't know for adult books or grown-up books how they're sort of faring. Um, yeah, I guess it's uh, adults interact with books in a different way. Yeah. And I guess it's kind of like audio, an audio book, for example, or mm -hmm. Kindle book, or, you know, it's sort of like they're just wanting to get the information out. It's less about the experience of uh -huh. reading, possibly. Yep. 
Mm-hmm. And I guess a lot of the grown-up books don't have pictures. Yeah, <laughs> unfortunately, they should. <laughs> pictures are great. So that's another big thing that I love, um, sort of championing. Uh, championing. Uh, championing. Cha- yeah, that's that thing. I do that. <laughs> Encouraging, maybe. Encouraging. Right? Encouraging sort of the respect for visual literacy. So literacy. What's, in, wait, hang on. Right, stop right yeah. there. What is visual literacy? <laughs> so visual literacy is being able to. Well, what's literacy to begin with? Well, literacy. Just regular I would literacy. Say reg- regular literacy is sort of communicating via words, um, you know, or via the written words. So how we pick up information through books, through the written language. Um, whereas visual literacy. Hang on, we we're just going to repeat of that. So so I so I sort of would define literacy as you know learning, reading, speaking, understanding via words, via the written word or spoken word. Whereas um, visual literacy is about communicating or understanding sort of narratives and learning via images or via things that you see, not necessarily the written word, which is, I'm sort of, I'm into that as an illustrator because of, I believe, of you yeah, are. yeah, I believe like the illustrate illustration tells just as much of a story as the words do. So, so illustrations for me aren't just like a pretty little decoration on the page, sort of. Uh, <laughs> they're, they're brutal words. <laughs> well, they're, they're not my words. That's, that's how I guess that's how illustrators are often perceived. You know, in the hierarchy of publishing, authors are up here, whereas illustrators are down here. We're sort of, you know. Authors are the sort of the smart, intelligent people dealing with ideas, whereas illustrators are sort of chewing on crayons and drawing on the walls, sort of, you know, the people that are just sort of doing the pretty pictures, whereas actually illustrations work really, really hard and they're very complex and being able to do... um, a good illustration requires a lot of skill and it's conveying a lot of information. Okay, we're going to ramp that skill level up at a meta level. Yeah. So I'm going to ask you to use mere words yes. verbally yes. to yes. describe mm-hmm. what's going on with these illustrations. With an illustration. Okay, so how do I demonstrate, how do I prove to you well, that it, the visual literacy is... <laughs> it's all about... I feel like that's a challenge. No, no, no. It's helping people... I saw you roll your eyes. It's helping people understand (laughs) what the value. There's more going on with an illustration. Yeah, absolutely. That's what you're saying. Absolutely. How do you? How can we help people to understand what that? What What, you're referring to? What do you mean? What what do I mean? Do I know what I mean? Maybe I don't. Maybe. um, Is there an illustration (laughs) here that we can refer to that in our environment? We're just kind of in a not really. Uh, So what am I trying to say? So. Why is visual literacy important? Because, um, so say a writer will write a sentence, a cat sat on a mat. Yes. That's their job done. They're finished. An illustrator gets that word, a cat gets the sentence, a cat sat on a mat, and they have to incorporate so much into their illustration. So they decide what kind of cat is it? What kind of mat are they sitting on? Is it round? Is it square? Is it patterned? Is it detailed? They're also thinking, what's the expression on the cat's face? What angle are we going to view the cat from? Are we looking at them from above or from below? Hang on, um, we just wait for this plane. It's a... Oh, I, I can't see what brand it is. What airline? So, and so, yeah, so the illustrators 
having to consider all of these facets and they're doing sort of all of this work in determining um, what this image is going to say because every single decision that the illustrator makes is impacting on how you're as the reader or as the uh, viewer are going to interpret that illustration. So whereas the author just wrote the cat sat on the mat and you filled in the blanks in your head, the illustrator is having to sort of fill in all of those blanks or give you directions and cues as to how you're going to interpret that. So we're putting so much thought into every single aspect, every single whisker on the cat, the position of the tail. Because uh, every one what, of those elements, they're communicating yeah, something. Yeah, it's saying something or even down to, you know, what technique I'm using, whether it's, you know, a really a realistic illustration or cartoony or whether it's I'm using pen and ink and it's black and white or whether I'm using bright colors it's all really really um, important because it's all saying something so and um, so visual literacy is important because it, it impacts on all aspects of our lives you know from the posters that we're seeing to even you know how we're interacting with people how we're reading their visual cues and um, you know it's I as an illustrator, I'm always sort of trying to say, you know, what we do as illustrators is important. It's just tell. as important yes, as that's, what the that's coming <laughs> loud and clear. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Message uh, received. Yeah. <laughs> okay, good. Matt <laughs> <laughs> Cosgrove signing off <laughs> for all the illustrators. <laughs> that's not devaluing what authors are doing at all because I'm, Ooh, you I'm can also an author. Yeah, yeah, yeah you but, can speak um, on that as well. Yeah, because... But, I love I love being an author and working with words, but um, you know I do like to try and point out to people that illustrators are contributing just as much, if not more, to the um, equation, especially in a picture book where the pictures are the star of the show and they're um, you know they're really you know telling extra layers of the story and it's a tricky one to get right doing a good illustration is really hard because people react to illustrations sort of instinctively like you know that if you walk into an art gallery straight away you respond to a painting or something there's something that you just um, in hardwired into your brain that you just react to that uh, whereas with the words brain or heart yeah, brain or heart or, or soul, soul. Or, yeah, yeah it's what, something else going on yeah so to get that right in an illustration is really hard if you look at an illustration that's wrong or that's bad you know that straight away it only takes a split second and you know oh there's something off with that illustration whereas you have to read pages and pages of words before you sort of like go mm, actually there's something off here there's something not right you give words more of a chance than you give illustrations we don't <laughs> Just wait. <laughs> so people give words more of a chance than they give you illustrations. Why? Why is that? As in, because I think um, because there's more respect given to words, so we're taught to um, you know to sort of give them more respect more time whereas with an illustration yeah i think that goes back to childhood where um when we're taught to speak when we're taught to write every single step along that way is cherished and celebrated you know your first word you've written something this is amazing you're learning this valuable skill whereas with visual literacy with your drawing it's like oh that's a nice crayon drawing i stick it on the fridge and then it's going in the recycling bin you know two days later or it's like just go away and play with your crayons in the corner you're fine over there do your own thing Whereas that skill of learning to read, learning to write, it's developed, it's nurtured, and it's taught, it's respected, and it's rewarded along the way. 
Yeah, well, that's something like visual literacy, as I understand, is definitely a part of um, primary school curriculum. It's getting there, yeah. It's sort of, um, I think, it's starting to get the respect it deserves. Mm. So, yeah. So what's, that, yeah, what's kind of happening in the world then? The way this sort of like, is the pendulum swinging back or was it, or is it a completely new thing or? You know, I think the pendulum is swinging back to sort of appreciating images more. And I would say to support my case there. Yes. <laughs> I'm not convinced. You need to provide more evidence. I would, I would point to the success of graphic novels um, in the children's book industry for sure. Uh, if you look at... Um, Hang on, hold that thought. The, the, the Just hold that thought while we get our plane out of the way. So just just to get us up to speed, yeah. and there's a simple simple answer is yeah. a good answer. Okay. What is a graphic novel? A graphic novel, I guess it's kind of um, to this, it's I guess it's like a comic book, a, seri a comic book that's thick. It's telling a story, so it's not just a flimsy sort of throwaway, you know, twenty-four page thing. It's a you know, it's a substantial work of literature where the artist has chosen to tell the story via a combination of words and images working together in harmony to convey a story. Wow, <laughs> that's, a, that's a good answer. <laughs> so, um, and there is such a rise in graphic novels at the moment. So um, just recently, the number one New York Times bestseller was Guts by Rainer Telgemeier. So a graphic novel, cartoon, comic strip told with, uh, you know, speech bubbles and um, you know, you just see that trend in kids' books at the moment. The Bad Guys, Dogman, these are all uh, graphic novels and they're just hugely popular at the moment. And uh, so I think it's a really, really interesting time. And I think it's because people are catching on that you can tell a really valuable story via images. It doesn't just have to be through, uh, through prose. So yes. That's that's what I would like to say on that subject. <laughs> like, I'm afraid yeah. we've come almost to the <laughs> end of our time. time. Have I said anything? I or I'm just so, like, maybe we'll <laughs> just listen to the <laughs> aeroplane go over and we'll finish it there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're looking at me like I'm a crazed lunatic. <laughs> oh, am I? No, that was not my intention. No, I think you're on the money. I think there's a lot going on, and you've got you've got the kind of experience to back it up. You kind of you're not talking crazy talk. You kind of got you know clear evidence that you're bringing to the table. Okay. About uh, our rickety picnic table at the Addison Road Market. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Shall we leave it there, Mark? I think it's really a pleasure. Yeah, I feel no, like you're going to run away from me. In this episode, I chatted with Matt Cosgrove, an Australian author and illustrator of children's books. You can find out more information about this episode, including links to Matt's website and other social media, in the show notes. Thank you for listening to Perspectives in Parryville.